0: We're going to be looking at Psalm 145 this morning, so if you brought your Bible, please turn to Psalm 145. The question of why God commands us to praise Him has provoked a lot of thought among Christians, not only in our day, but also through the centuries. Have you ever thought about that question? Why does God command us to praise Him? Is God needy? Does God need our praise? Of course not. He needs nothing from us. Our praise adds absolutely nothing to God. But I believe there's, there's at least two major reasons that God calls us to praise Him. Number one, I believe He commands us to praise Him because our praise glorifies Him, it exalts Him, it magnifies Him. It's a proper response of the heart because of who he is and who he is for us. We praise him because he's the only one worthy of our praise, the only one worthy of our worship. And another reason I believe God commands us to praise him is because he knows that our souls are thirsty. He created us with a thirsty soul. And he knows that nothing on this earth can truly satisfy that soul thirst. Only he can. And that when we praise him, our souls are deeply blessed and encouraged and satisfied. We love to praise what we love and what we value. And when we love God supremely, we love to praise him greatly. C.S. Lewis wondered about this question a lot. And he said this, he said, We delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. So when God commands us to praise him, it's because of his great love for us that he commands us to praise him because he knows that that, he is the only one who can satisfy our souls. I absolutely love Psalm 145. I've recently been spending some time in this psalm because it so resonates with my own soul. It's a psalm of praise to God. It's a psalm of his glorious greatness and his wondrous works. It's a psalm that was written by King David. David was a musician. He played the harp. And he wrote at least half of the psalms, of the 150 psalms in the Psalter, this is, David wrote about half of them, and this is the last of his psalms in the Psalter. And David had a wonderful, he had a personal an intimate relationship with God, and he had a really wonderful affection for God, and you see that in the psalms that he wrote, psalms of praise. So let's read the psalm together. Psalm 145. David says this, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all those who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. And let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. The big idea, the main point in... This psalm is in verse 3, and it is this, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. The Lord is great, and he is glorious beyond all words. So all of his creatures should give themselves to praise the Lord, and to praise him for his glorious goodness, and his greatness, and his works. Not only today, but from this day on, forever. The psalm can be broken down into five sections, the five, five areas of praise for God. So we'll take a look at each one as we work through it. The first one is this. Praise God for his unfathomable greatness. Praise God for his unfathomable greatness. We see that in the first three verses. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. David is overwhelmed with the greatness and the wonder and the beauty of God, and it compels him to worship the Lord. As he meditates on the greatness of God and the wonder of his works, it fills and satisfies his soul, and it drives him to worship This psalm is a call to praise God greatly, highly, enthusiastically, and often because he is worthy of it. And one thing you'll notice as you go through this psalm is that David uses a variety of words for praise. He uses the word extol in verse one. It means to lift high, to praise highly, to exalt. Three times he uses the word bless, three times he uses the word praise. You see the word commend and declare and pour forth and sing aloud and give thanks. All of these words communicate praise and worship. And it's the proper response in light of who God is and his glory and his awesome works. Notice also that David has personalized verses 1 and 2. He's speaking from his own personal experience, his own deep affection for God. He says, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise you. And then down in verse 21, he says, my mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. See, David didn't just know of God. He didn't just know things about God. David knew God personally. And he knew God by faith in relationship. True God-pleasing praise begins with knowing God personally. It begins with knowing God in relationship. Apart from a relationship with God, what you know of God won't move you to praise God. All of your praise will just fall flat. So how can you know God in that way? You need to know God as your Savior. You can't know God in a real sense apart from a personal relationship with Him. Well, why is that? Because God has revealed Himself in the Scriptures. But a true knowledge of God and an understanding of God is given through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God uses the truth of the Word of God. And he impresses that truth on our minds and hearts and illuminates that truth so that we might understand it and grasp it in the way that God intends us to understand it. Apart from the indwelling Spirit, you can learn things about God, but you can't know God. The Apostle Paul made that clear in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12. He said, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, But the Spirit who is from God. Why? That we might understand the things freely given us by God. He gives us His Spirit so that we might know God and know what God has given us, what He's made available to us, who He is for us. And our sinful nature and our depravity hinders us from knowing God. It keeps us from a relationship with Him. And only it is when our sin is dealt with can we know God in relationship. And the good news is, the great news is, as many of you know, is that God made a way. God made a way. And the way to a relationship with God is not complicated. It's not full of trying to earn favor with God. We could never do that. Salvation is entirely by God's grace through faith in Christ alone. If you haven't already done so, you need to know your sinfulness. You need to recognize that you need a Savior. And trust fully and only in God's Son, Jesus Christ, who bore your sin, who absorbed your judgment in your place on the cross. At the moment of your salvation, God sends his Holy Spirit to save you and to seal you and indwell you and open your spiritual eyes. And only then will you truly begin to see God in his greatness. And there's a second component of knowing God personally. You need to learn of God's nature and his works. You need to learn of his nature and his works. In order to grow in your worship, you need to grow in your knowledge of God. You need to spend time reading and studying God's word and taking note of what it says about God, what it says about his mighty works. You cannot praise God as you should unless you know him as he is. So in your times in God's word, ask God to show himself to you in his word. As you read the Word, take note of His glory and His greatness all throughout the Scriptures. It's cover to cover. I'd also encourage you to read a good book that our growth groups are reading. It's called The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. If you've not read a book, either that one or one like it, it's books like these that sort of give you a full picture of the nature of God, the attributes of God, so that you can know Him better. And if you've not read that book or one like it, I would strongly encourage you to do it. The study of God is is the, the greatest, highest study that you can ever do in your life. And it's had a tremendous impact on my own personal walk with Christ. And notice in the text that David's praise is continuous. It wasn't a once a week sort of praise that we do when we gather together and worship. I will extol you and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and I will bless your name forever and ever. David was a daily personal worshiper. David knew God's greatness and he was captivated by it. And it caused him to overflow with praise and worship. He praises God every day for all of his days. But even then, David knows and we know that the greatness of God is is way beyond the capacity of our puny brain to to understand it. David knows that as much as he knows of the greatness of God, it's only a fraction of the true greatness of God. He says God's greatness is unsearchable in verse 3. It's unfathomable. It's beyond our ability to find out all of it. And even what we do know about God, we can barely comprehend some of it. Some of us in our growth groups have been testifying about that. The scripture tells us that God is eternal. God has no beginning, He has no end. He is uncreated, He is self existing. And He has always existed forever. Everything we know in this life has had a beginning, except God. God is infinite. He is limitless in every way. He is all-powerful. His power is limitless. He spoke everything into existence by merely uttering the words. And he didn't have one drop of sweat. It wasn't hard for God. Nothing is hard for God. Nothing at all is harder for God than any other thing. And he doesn't get tired. He doesn't get spent. He doesn't get strained. He doesn't need replenishing. He is all-knowing. He knows everything, everywhere, exhaustively, past, present, and future without ever having learned it. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere present. At every point in the universe, God is present in his fullness. He is infinitely holy. He is wise, faithful, good, just, merciful, gracious, loving, all at once, all the time. And you can imagine how much greater God is, even beyond what He's revealed to us. And our language is woefully inadequate in trying to capture divine greatness. The words almost completely fail to capture the true, unsearchable greatness of God. It's hard enough to try to describe something amazing on earth. Try to describe the Grand Canyon to someone. Big. It's, it's really, it's really big. And it's deep, man, it's deep. There's, there's water down there. And there's, and there's color. And even if you use, we use words like, it's just spectacular. It's breathtaking. It's like, what does that even mean? It's like, how do, how do I have a picture of the Grand Canyon from that? Daniel Estes, in his commentary on the Psalms, writes this, he says, when humans utter praise to God, it is as though they are drawing a sunset with only a pencil. Because God is unfathomably great, he is due the highest praise and the most enthusiastic worship. Number two, praise God for his awesome works. Verses four to seven, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. God not only is good, but he does good. God not only is great and mighty, but he does great and mighty works. And if you give time to thinking about the majesty of God and his wondrous works, it'll be on your mind and it'll be on your lips. You'll testify of what God is doing and what God has done. And God calls you to testify to the greatness of God and his mighty works to the next generation. That's a calling to Christian parents and to Christian grandparents to declare the truth about God to them and to grandkids. And also, we need to testify about these things to one another. We all need to hear of God's mighty works, but especially the next generation. They're hearing a million different voices coming at them from every direction, and they're telling them lies about what's true and what's real. There have been a number of articles written lately on the sharp rise of persistent sadness and hopelessness and depression in our young people, especially young girls, and the increasing rate of suicides. There was a study done recently by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, and it's absolutely heartbreaking. There's various reasons for it. But adolescence is hard enough. But our culture has done so much to create and foster and even celebrate confusion in our young minds. Just when they desperately need stability and truth and reality. Confusion about sex and biology and gender and identity, and on and on we go. And as one of your pastors, and with all the love in my heart, if you're a young person, you need to know that our gracious God has lovingly and purposefully created you in his image the way you are. It's according to his good and perfect design for you. He created them male and female. And he seeks to know you in loving relationship. And he wants to give you hope. He wants to give you peace in your soul. He wants to give you a glorious, God-glorifying purpose for your life. And he's given us his inspired word to cut through all the confusion there's clarity and security and hope in Christ tell one another of the glories of God incredible God's incredible creation i think about God's creation all the time and it amazes me when i think about all the intricacies of the way he created things and all the interrelationships of everything it's glorious Tell one another, testify to one another about that. Encourage one another. Tell of the faithfulness of God's love and providence. Tell of the grace of God in sending his divine son who died on a cross to bear our judgment in our place. Tell about his glorious resurrection. Tell of the big and grand works of God and tell one another of what God is doing in your own life, what God is doing in your family, what God is doing in your church. How have you seen God at work? Encourage one another with that. And when you testify to one another, not only is God glorified, but your joy is deepened as you're reminded of God's goodness and His faithfulness to you. Over and over, God reminds Israel to remember Him and His greatness and His wondrous works. Why does He do that? Why does He remind them of this so much? because we're prone to forget. David was proactive in his remembering because he deeply loved God. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates when? Day and night. He meditates on it day and night. And in that there is blessing. Let me ask you, do you take time to meditate on God's Word? Is that a practice of yours? Meditation is a biblical word. It's a biblical principle. It just means, basically, to just think deeply about God's Word. David says, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. To meditate is to carefully ponder and consider and examine and chew on a portion of Scripture. For what purpose? So that we'll learn it better. So that we'll learn better what it means, what it says, how it impacts my life. And by doing that, you sink the truths of Scripture deep in your heart. You just can't get anywhere in your knowledge of God just by simply reading it like you're reading any other book. And by doing that, your soul is blessed and encouraged and refreshed and lifted above the daily pressures and details of your life. And then, like David, it should drive you, it should compel you to praise and worship God for who He is. Meditation fuels our personal worship. I like how the Puritan preacher and author Thomas Watson said it. He said, the reason we come away so cold from reading the word is because we do not warm ourselves at the fires of meditation. What a great way to put that. Look at what David says in Psalm 63, 5 to 7. He says, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When? When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. Nothing will satisfy your soul more than meditating on the glory of God and knowing deeply the God of all creation and worshiping him. Nothing will else. Only God is big enough to satisfy our thirsty souls. Author and songwriter Matt Papa put it like this. He said, The triune God is the only thing large enough and interesting enough to bear the weight of glory and ultimately worship. Anything else will break your heart. Money isn't secure enough. Sex isn't thrilling enough. Entertainment isn't impressive enough food isn't satisfying enough people aren't reliable enough this world isn't good enough creation isn't permanent enough we were created by god and for god and until we understand that we are restless broken hearted glory chasers always seeking something more only god the highest and greatest good the infinite holy one is finally enough You might be thinking, well, I don't disagree with you, but when do I have time to meditate? My life is rather full. Brethren, you have all kinds of time in your day to meditate on God's Word. Write a verse or two down on a card and bring it with you and maybe commit it to memory. And then meditate on it while you're driving your car you drive a car? Most of you do. Turn off Sirius XM radio. Turn off your music. You have lots of time in your car to meditate on God's Word. Or when you're waiting in line, or sitting in a waiting room, or walking from here to there. Way too often, what do we do when we have about three, four, five minutes, ten minutes? We pull out our cell phone and we look at social media, we look at sports scores, we look at When you're washing dishes, when you're getting ready in the morning, put a verse on your mirror. When you're getting ready, it's boring, wasted time. Meditate on God's Word while you're combing your hair. Sitting in a dentist chair, riding a bus. All kinds of opportunity for you to be meditating on God's Word. And God can use times like that to bless you and encourage you and fuel your worship. Praise God for his awesome works. The third area of praise, praise God for his gracious nature. Look at verses 8 and 9. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. If you know your Bible, some of those verses might sound especially familiar. Verse 8 repeats a good part of Exodus 34, 6. And it is one of the most often quoted sayings in the Old Testament. It occurs first when Moses asks God to show him his glory. And this is one of the things that God says as he's passing by Moses on the mountain. It's repeated eight times in the Old Testament. There's such wonderful and comforting truths about God, aren't they? The Lord is gracious. In God's graciousness, He is inclined to grant great favor, blessing, and kindness on the undeserving. He is merciful. He's compassionate toward you in your weakness and suffering and failures and guilt. God knows all about your weaknesses and your sins, and He is compassionate toward you. He is merciful toward you. He is slow to anger. He is patient toward you and long-suffering in your weaknesses and sins. And he is not only loving toward you, he is abounding in steadfast love. His love is overwhelming and generous. And it will never end. He is good to all. What is God's goodness? Tozer says the goodness of God is that which disposes him, to be kind, cordial, benevolent, and full of goodwill toward men. He is tender-hearted and of quick sympathy. By his nature, he is inclined to bestow blessedness, and he takes holy pleasure in the happiness of his people. Praise God for his gracious nature. The fourth area of praise we see Praise God for His glorious rule. Look at verses 10 to 13. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power and make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion rules throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all His words and kind in all His works. God is the king. He is the sovereign ruler over all of his creation. And David praises God for his glorious kingdom. It's glorious. It's everlasting. It's full of glorious splendor. And in his kingdom, God demonstrates his power and his might and his dominion. And in his resurrection, we see the exalted rule of Jesus Christ. Paul says in Philippians Chapter 2, verses 9 to 11, "...God has highly exalted Him, Jesus, and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." Look at Ephesians 1. It says, Paul says, "...God seated Jesus at His right hand in the heavenly places." Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. If there's any authority or power or dominion anywhere in this age or any other age, Jesus rules. That's the Savior we know. That's the Savior that knows you personally by your name. He knows everything about you. This is the Savior that we serve. And if that's not a reason to praise, I don't know what is. Yes, God reigns over everything, but David calls him my king. There's a wonderful intimacy there, and God is your king if you're a citizen of his kingdom by faith in Jesus Christ. And we don't have to worry for one second about God's sovereign rule. We don't have to worry. With human beings, if someone had 100% sovereign rule, we'd have reason to be concerned, right? Terrified. Because we know our depraved hearts. Historian and writer Lord Acton famously wrote in 1887, power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. But not with God. God's reign is glorious because God always rules his kingdom 100% consistent with his nature. So God rules with perfect righteousness and justice and goodness and wisdom and faithfulness and kindness. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. Praise God for his glorious righteous rule. And then the fifth area of praise is this. Praise God for his faithful providence. God not only reigns over his creation, but in his kindness, he faithfully provides for his creation. He sustains his creation and generously provides for our needs. Generously. What are some of the ways that he provides for us? Verse 14, we see that God provides strength and support verse 14 the lord upholds all who are failing or falling and raises up all who are bowed down the lord in his tender mercy upholds you when you fall when you have times of doubt when you're struggling with temptations when you fail when you're humbled when you're humiliated when you're persecuted and there's lots of times when we're weak when we're burdened and depressed and when we feel like we're falling, God takes hold of our hand and he gently upholds us and brings us to our feet. I picture a parent walking along with his two-year-old, you know, walking along on the sidewalk. It's just so nice, It's cute, he's cute. He, his toe hits a crack and he starts to fall. And what does mom do? She grabs him by his arm a little bit tighter, grabs him by the elbow, lifts him up. Psalm 37, 24. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. Isaiah 42, 3. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. What a wonderful, tender attribute of God, right? Thank God for his providence. Then in verses 15 to 17, we see that God provides sustenance for his creatures. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. God is not a reluctant provider. It pleases him to provide for our needs. I mean, it would have been enough For God to just provide, you know, a few different kinds of foods for us. But he provided all this variety in our foods to sustain us. Plants and fruits and livestock and chicken and fish and grains and water. And in his goodness and in his generosity, he even made food taste delicious. He didn't have to do that. He could have just said, here, eat this terrible tasting paste every day. That's all you get, but it will sustain you. That would have been gracious of God to give us terrible-tasting paste. But he doesn't do that. He gives us sweet apples and juicy oranges and glazed donuts. (laughs) Right? How many of you were excited about opening day? The new Krispy Kreme opening day was Tuesday, and there was rejoicing all around. Actually, I read this article about how bad it is to eat too much sugar, and I have to say I was a little bit alarmed. So I vowed then and there never to read that article again. He's given us all things to enjoy. Psalm 104, when you open your hand, they are filled with good things. Thank God for his providence. Amen? Amen. Look in verse 18 and 19. He provides answers to prayer. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. God is near to you always. But he draws near in a personal way when we call on him in prayer. James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Psalm 34.15, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. He leans in and listens to you when you pray. What are your needs? What do you want? What do you need? It's one of the most amazing blessings in all of life. The eternal, infinite God of all creation hears you when you call to him. He hears you. We take that so for granted. You don't even have to yell like he's far away. You don't have to say anything. You can pray silently and he hears you. And he will answer you when you call to him in his perfect timing and in his perfect way. And then in verse... 20, we see that God provides protection. The Lord preserves all who love Him, but all the wicked He will destroy. And in all the beautiful and uplifting verses we went through in the psalm, this verse affirms that David is not naive. He knows very well that the the world is full of evil and suffering and hardship. He's not all pie in the sky about life, he experienced a lot of it himself. There are wicked, godless people doing wicked things, and if they don't repent and return to the Savior, they will be destroyed in judgment. But the Lord preserves us. He keeps us. He guards us. He watches over all who love him. And then the psalm ends like it starts with praise for the Lord. He starts the psalm with personal praise, but he ends with an exhortation for all people, all flesh to praise the Lord and proclaim his glories. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his name forever and ever. David was singing solo at the beginning of the psalm, but he ends with a call for all people to join the chorus of praise to God. Join this choir. Be in the choir. Praise God every day forever and ever. There's so much to thank God and praise God for. Amen? So much. It's overwhelming. And even in hardship and even in suffering, there is so much to praise God for. He is so good and He is so good to us. Ask God to open your spiritual eyes to His unfathomable, unsearchable greatness. And take time to praise God every day, forever and ever. It not only will please and honor God, but it will satisfy your soul like nothing else in this world could. A.W. Pink said this, Happy the soul that has been awed by a view of God's majesty. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for all that you've revealed about yourself in the scriptures and in your creation, and in your divine Son, Jesus Christ. I pray, as we learn more about you, move us to worship. Move us to worship greatly, daily, to the end of our days. I pray, Lord, along with the Apostle Paul, that the Lord... The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that we may know what is the hope to which he has called us, what are the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, when he worked that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Open our eyes to your greatness. Be glorified and honored and pleased with our worship. Satisfy our souls with yourself. Move us to meditate on truths about who you are and what you are doing. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. In Christ's name we pray, amen.